The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Is everybody standing on this side? All right. Well, let's get started. Um, thank you all for, for being here, uh, here at the city of Lansing. I want to welcome everybody. Um, I've got with me some of my, my, my fire and police chief, um, and I want to welcome certainly a Representative Hope, Commissioner Tennis, our wonderful health officer, Linda Vale, uh, and it's an honor to have Attorney General Dana Nessel here. So welcome, everybody. We all know the opioid epidemic has taken a toll on our residents and their families, our first responders, and our, our health agencies. Um, this is probably the, the biggest crisis until the pandemic. Um, and this is something that we were talking about all the time. Um, our first responders, our firefighters, our EMS, and our police, they're on the front lines battling this crisis, and they're the ones who show up and deal with the effects every day. Uh, I think for the first two and a half to three years, almost every cabinet meeting that I had, we had numbers on, on the impacts within our city. Um, when I was in the Michigan legislature, I was uh, proud to serve on Governor Snyder's bipartisan opioid task force, uh, which came up with a series of solutions for uh, social services and enforcement. And we were able to get a lot of those passed through the legislature, including expanding the use of Narcan and, and Medicaid and, and other important services, working with schools. Uh, and it was just a great Republican and Democrat coordinated if effort. The city of Lansing, I guess it was about four, four and a half years ago now, took a stand. Took a stand against the, the tremendous cost of prescription drugs as part of this massive lawsuit against opioid manufacturers and distributors, which has now finally reached an endgame. Um, I do want to recognize our city attorneys, which are standing in the back, very nondescript, because they don't like when I talk about them, but I'm going to talk about them. Um, and they've done just tremendous work keeping me in the loop, working with the Attorney General staff, working with our, our uh, independent outside counsel, who um, have been incredible. We've really had just a tremendous effort. Uh, nothing, is, nothing is quick, but we're really excited to be here. Um, and again, we can't do it alone. You know, we, we've got all of our, our partners here, um, and for me, it has been incredible for our staff to work with not only outside counsel, but with our Attorney General, Dana Nessel. Uh, from the time she came into office, the Attorney General prioritized the opioid epidemic. She worked to ensure victims and families and communities across the state see assistance and justice. Um, she's not only working with the city of Lansing, but she has created this, this tremendous statewide advocacy and she's a national leader. So I'm proud to have her here today in our fire station to talk about her role in assisting those in need and this uh, incredible day that we have here. So it's my honor to introduce our Attorney General, Dana Nessel. Thank you, Mayor Shore. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking before I, I start, um, beyond the dignitaries that are here, I want to recognize uh, Mark Wiley from Hillsdale County, who's here from the, the county sheriff commissioner, right? And uh, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Uh, and what I haven't said, this is my third staff today, and I, I, haven't, um, I haven't recognized my staff who have worked so hard uh, and diligently, not just on this settlement, but on some other cases that we're working on as well uh, in response to the opioid epidemic. And um, I think a shout out to the great uh, staff attorneys at the Department of Attorney General um, who have worked tirelessly to help residents around our state get a little bit of justice. Um, but 
With that, um, again, thank you, Mayor Shore, for, for hosting us today here at the fire station, at fire station number one, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, and this is a great setting uh, to highlight this very significant development in the fight against the impact of opioids on Michigan communities. Uh, and obviously, in addition, I'd like to thank uh, world's best county health official anywhere in the United States, Linda Vale, who, by the way, taught me a lot about opioids. We've had many, many conversations about this. This is before COVID even became a thing, when, when the worst epidemic facing our state uh, was the opioid epidemic, which of course continues to rage. And I don't know anybody more knowledgeable about this than Linda Vale, honestly, and what a tremendous job she's done here in Ingham County. So we, she deserves a special round of applause for that. And of course, thank you to Ingham County Commissioner Todd Tennis and to Representative Kara Hope. Um, you know, really appreciate you being here and also standing up for the best interests uh, of everybody, not just in this community here in Ingham, but of course, uh, all across the state of Michigan. So according to the most recent data from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, more than 2,000 Michigan residents died as a result of an opioid overdose just in 2020. And that's nearly three times as many deaths that were reported just a decade before. Since their introduction into the marketplace, opioids have had a devastating impact on our country and on our state. Thousands of Michigan families have been touched by substance abuse disorder and experienced the death of a loved one due to opioid use. Now, when I took office uh, in 2019, I made the pursuit of litigation against opioid manufacturers and distributors a priority for the department. Uh, and as a result of, of this effort and working with our, our partners who have uh, slogged away in this battle for many years, representing the municipalities and the subdivisions, uh, Michigan will receive nearly $800 million as part of this national settlement. The nation's three major pharmaceutical distributors, Cardinal, McKesson, and Amerisource Bergen, and opioid manufacturer Johnson & Johnson, will pay up to $26 billion nationwide. This formal commitment by the distributors and by Johnson & Johnson marks a historic day for this country. The settlements will equip communities across our state with resources that were not previously available to better address the opioid crisis and to support abatement efforts. And this historic national agreement marks the culmination of three years of negotiations to resolve more than 4,000 claims of state and local governments across the country. And it is the second largest multi-state agreement in United States history, second only to the Tobacco Master Settlement Agreement of the 1990s. Michigan settlement totals approximately $776 million and will be divided with half of the dollars paid directly to eligible municipalities referred to as subdivisions, and the other half will be paid to the state. So over the course of the past few months, my team has worked to assist the registered Michigan subdivisions in this process, and we expect at least 269 Michigan communities to receive direct payments from the subdivision portion of the settlement. Um, and, and I will say there are many reasons why that is so important, partially because we want to make sure 
that this money goes as quickly as possible to the places that need it the most. It's not stuck in some account uh, that the legislature has control over. Uh, and we know that this money gets into these communities and starts helping people immediately instead of having to wait for uh, it to be appropriated by the legislature, which, by the way, I, I hope they will do quickly. So this is a 97% settlement participation rate of eligible Michigan subdivisions, and that figure is particularly important uh, as the amount of settlement funds Michigan receives is tied to the level of participation by state and local governments. The largest municipalities are set to receive tens of millions of dollars from the subdivision portion on the settlement alone. And of course, that doesn't mean they're not going to be eligible for more money once the state distributes it. Um, my department is also working with stakeholders to maximize the positive impact of these dollars by providing information and resources for how these dollars may be spent. And in fact, we recently participated in the first of five sessions of a webinar series with the Michigan Association of Counties, Michigan Township Association, and the Municipal League on this very topic. Settlement funds must be used for opioid remediation. And why that is so important is because that's not what happened with the tobacco money. Uh, the tobacco money has been spent in all different types of ways. We wanted to make sure that this money went directly towards abating uh, opioid use and then also, you know, for prevention purposes. So here's the kinds of things that it can be used for. Opioid use disorder treatment, treatment and recovery support, connecting people to the assistance they need, addressing the needs of people who are involved in the criminal justice system, addressing the needs of pregnant women, infants, parents, um, obviously prevention, first responder support, leadership planning, training and research, and really the list goes on and on, but there must be a connection to opioid uh, use, opioid abuse, and opioid prevention. So I personally met with healthcare providers, local organizations, and community leaders regarding the impact of opioids on the communities they serve, and I will continue those meetings over the next several months. The information and insights I've gained from these meetings will be reflected in programs and outreach efforts from my department to help share information with stakeholders regarding best practices and to connect resources to communities in need. Initial settlement payments to subdivisions will come as early as April, meaning next month, April, and July of 2022, meaning this year, with annual payments made each July over the course of many years. The state settlement portion will be subject to the legislative appropriation process and will have a tremendous positive, tremendously positive impact on Michigan and its residents as it's dispersed over an 18-year period of time. Each state's share of the National Settlement Fund has been determined by an agreement amongst the states using a formula that takes into account the population of the state, along with the impact of the crises on the state, the amount of opioids shipped to the state, the number of opioid-related deaths that occurred in that state, and the number of people who suffer opioid use disorder in the state. So Michigan has actually made out better uh, in terms of the, the funds than what our population is, but unfortunately that's because of the disparate effect on Michigan residents 
due to the opioid epidemic. In addition to the funds, the distributors, Cardinal, McKesson, and Amerisource Bergen have to also do the following. They must establish a centralized, independent clearinghouse to provide all three distributors and state regulators with aggregated data and analytics about where drugs are going and how often, eliminating blind spots in the current systems used by distributors. They must use data-driven systems to detect suspicious opioid orders from, customers, uh, from customer pharmacies. They must terminate customer pharmacies' ability to receive shipments and report those companies to state regulators when they show certain signs of diversion. They must prohibit shipping of and report suspicious opioid orders. They must prohibit sales staff from influencing decisions related to identifying suspicious opioid orders. And they must require senior corporate officials to engage in regular oversight of anti-diversion efforts. In addition to that, Johnson & Johnson is required to, number one, stop selling opioids. Secondly, not to fund or provide grants to third parties for promoting opioids. Not lobby on activities related to opioids. And lastly, to share clinical data uh, under a trial with the Yale University Open Data Access Project. So we know that there is absolutely no amount of money that can adequately compensate a family for the loss of their loved one or erase the damage done to all those who have battled, battled opioid use disorder. But this settlement represents our best efforts to hold accountable the distributors and manufacturers for the devastating impact their product has had on the residents of our state and of our country. My department was determined to ensure Michigan received an amount commensurate with the impact of opioids on our residents and our communities, and I know these dollars will go a very long way towards righting many of the wrongs caused during the course of the opioid epidemic by these drug companies. So uh, thank you, and I think next up to uh, talk is Linda Vale. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, <clears throat> excuse me, good, not my papers. Thank you, A.T. Nessel. <clears throat> I guess I'm a little speechless after the A.G. basically calls you the best health officer in the country. So after being introduced by the best attorney general in the country, um, and really just proud of the way that she's handled this and making sure that money gets to level of remediation, treatment, care, those sorts of things. And so she's been a champion for that, and I can't thank her enough. Um, after a tenfold increase in opioid deaths between 2006 and 2015, overdose rates stabilized in Ingham County due to efforts by multiple partners. The pandemic arrived in 2020 and our progress was significantly affected. As was with the case numbers, as was the case with a number of issues during the pandemic, systemic barriers and access issues were exacerbated for many of our most vulnerable, including those with substance use disorders. Between 2019 and 2020, fatal overdoses in Ingham County increased 33% from 78 in 2019 to more than 104 in 2020. When our data is finalized in 2021, we anticipate that that number will be 125, which represents a 60% increase since 2019, where we had managed to get this to flatten, and we're trying to start to get it to go down. 
We saw a significant increase in naloxone administration by law enforcement and our fire departments over the last two years as well. However, we saw a decrease in emergency room utilization. And that highlights the additional pressures to our system caused by the pandemic. Many individuals avoided emergency room care during the pandemic, which also reduced the likelihood that those experiencing non-fatal overdoses will access harm reduction or treatment for recovery services and other resources. We hadn't made enough progress to stem the impact of opioids in our county, and now we find ourselves with the situation worsening at this critical point in time. Not only did the pandemic affect access to services, including our evidence-based um, program, Rapid Response, which our team began in 2020 in partnership with area law enforcement agencies and with an SUD provider called Wellness INX, but it also affected funding for those initiatives. In 2022, we saw funding cuts and new funding restrictions that have drastically limited our capabilities to continue providing these evidence-based services. We know what caused this problem to escalate over the last two decades. Really, this has been going on for about two decades. This settlement is evidence that those responsible can be held accountable. Clearly, this is a critical time for the opioid settlement funds to make their way to communities for direct services, including prevention, harm reduction, and treatment. Too many people have lost their lives. Too many people have lost their loved ones. Too many people continue to struggle with opioid use disorder and they and their loved ones are often at a loss of places to find help. These are all problems with many evidence-based solutions. <clears throat> but investment into systems that provide the necessary array of services is imperative. My family has been impacted by the escalation in use of prescription opioids, which led to drugs like heroin and fentanyl, the ep opioid epidemic. Far too many of us can say that. Now is the time for us to invest significantly in, in solutions to reverse an opioid epidemic. Bleh. I can talk, but look, we've, we've taught people pandemic, epidemic, and now we're going to teach endemic too. So look at that. We all have to be public health experts. I, I wish we weren't. I wish we weren't. Sure. Hi, my name's Todd Tennis. I'm a county commissioner here in Ingham County. And I've been on the board since 2007. And when I first was elected, uh, this type of opioid crisis was just beginning. And in my time as chair of the Human Services Committee, uh, we've seen this spiral out of control. And we rely on the pharmaceutical industry for miracles. We rely on miracles in cancer treatment and chronic disease and most recently uh, life-saving vaccines against a global pandemic. But this litigation shows what happens when a handful of leaders in any industry choose to put profits over people. And we've all felt the devastation and cost of the outcome of that, whether it is having to purchase and train our first responders uh, with Narcan and other types of uh, uh, treatments to deal with opioid uh, overdoses, whether it is the burden it's put on our jail system, our court system, uh, our healthcare system, obviously. And this settlement is a huge win, not just for families who have lost loved ones, uh, as mine has to this epidemic, not just for our communities who have had outstanding costs they've had to pay, but it's a win for the civil justice system 
which shows that we can fight the power and force people who are accountable to be accountable. And, uh, and I'm very proud that Ingham County was one of the first municipalities to stand up and do that. And as we start to receive uh, the payments uh, to make up for these costs, uh, we are looking very much forward to putting that into treatment plans, treatment for opioid addiction. And I've been in and around addiction since, I, since 1995. And treatment for opioid addiction is hugely expensive. It is often requires medication, specialized uh, residential services. And so we are hoping that these funds can be used to start to, to win back our communities from this plague. So thank you very much. Well, thank you all so much, obviously, for, for being here. Um, and, you know, thank you for everybody who's worked so hard to, to battle um, this incredibly devastating issue. And thanks again to um, Mayor Shore for hosting us today and for Ingham County Health Officer Vale um, and the Commissioner. Um, just want to acknowledge all of, of your work and all the work of the dedicated members of the legal community who are here today. Uh, that were part of the litigation over the course of many, many years. And since I am in Lansing, I, I just want to say this directly to uh, any of our legislators that might be watching this broadcast um, and ask a favor. Uh, please don't treat this money as a political football. This isn't a Democratic issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's a, it's a human issue. And when this money comes to Lansing, and I don't just mean the city of Lansing, which I'm very glad, which I know you guys will use right away and you'll use uh, appropriately um, in the best interest of your community. Um, but please appropriate this money and get it to where it needs to be. It's not doing anybody any good just sitting in a bank account somewhere. So, you know, lots of people worked very hard for this settlement. This money needs to go towards helping people now. Uh, and with that, uh, we'll take any questions you have. Um, so I have a question that comes to this conversation. Um, imagine, and I don't want to twist what you said, but um, that some of this money will go to people involved in the criminal justice system. And I guess I'm wondering, um, is, there, is there specifically uh, cut out for um, problem solving courts and veterans courts and drug treatment courts for this money? Yeah, absolutely. So again, there has to be some sort of nexus between the use of the money and opioid use, but that is certainly a perfect place to put it. And I remember my first year in office, uh, I remember hearing a conversation that was going on in a, in a room I was at during a prosecuting attorneys association meeting. Uh, and it was a, a couple of um, prosecutors of different parties uh, from the west side of the state and they were complaining about how much they really, really needed a drug court uh, as a specialty court in, uh, in their counties, but they couldn't afford it. And it was $200,000, which, I mean, I think seemed a lot for their budgets, but, you know, really not so much money when you think about uh, how that treatment could be used later 
to not just, of course, assist the people who are caught in the criminal justice system as a result of their addiction, but to get them on the right track so that they weren't spending time in county jails or in MDOC uh, or, God forbid, you know, on the streets dead. And so I think that that is a great place for the money to go and certainly, you know, completely appropriate under the terms of the settlement. Um, same thing with the jails. I mean, the jails need this as much as any place because, of course, that's where so many people who have um, opioid use disorder end up. And Linda, if I'm not mistaken, you told me the number one place where you're likely to see overdoses is right as soon as somebody exits a jail. Highest, and, highest risk of overdoses within the first two weeks. Yeah, did you all hear that? Within the first two weeks of, of leaving a county jail, that is um, when you're most likely to overdose. So there, there are so many places in the criminal justice system where this money can be utilized. But of course, that's, that's not the only place. And as I travel around the state, one of the things that I hear most is, we don't have any bed space at any rehabilitation facilities. And I think the thing to remember, and I feel stupid talking about this with uh, Linda standing behind me because she knows so much more about this than I do. But what I've heard more than anything else is, you know, because of the way opioids affects a person, it's not the same as many other types of drug addictions. And, you know, it literally affects the mind in a way that, you know, it's not enough to be in a facility for 30 days and now you're done. You need extensive treatment, and often you need treatment that lasts over a year to get yourself to a place where you're not going to slide into using again. And it's an ongoing process, you know, and I, I, I sort of, you know, this morning when I was out in Wayne County, I told the story, and I know I shared it with you, Linda, about um, back in 2003 when I was pregnant with my twin boys and had one of my kids for some reason shoved up underneath my rib cage on the left side and split a whole bunch of ribs while I was pregnant and then had to have a C-section after that and had my OB give me a 90-day supply of hydrocodone to be used every four hours and just thought I would take it exactly as prescribed. And it was just a few weeks later that one day I got more than four hours of sleep and realized that I was sick as a dog and couldn't understand how I got so sick when I never even left the house and became really clear to me that's how quickly a person can get become addicted. And it was a painful process of having to wean myself off of this, but of course I, I didn't have you know chronic pain, I just had a short-term condition. There are people with chronic pain who you know were prescribed this medication, took it over the course of a long period of time, and getting off of it is hell. It's a living hell. And we have to help people, you know? We have to help people get back to a place of, of normalcy. And that's what this money needs to be used for. And the message that I want to send to everybody who's having these issues, it's not your fault, and we're here to help. And that's the message we should be sending to everybody. Attorney General, this is Sam with Merce News. Do you anticipate this money coming out and being appropriated as a fiscal year budget item, or should it be appropriate before uh, the budget negotiations really start to take up all of the uh, legislature's time? Well, this is an entirely separate fund. It's not going to be mixed in with, like, you know, general treasury-related funds, so I would assume it would be a supplemental of some sort and a separate item altogether. I'm looking at the so. legislator in the room. And I don't think so. Yeah. I hope so. Yes. 
because it's not it's it's not you know just mixed in with all the other funding and it can't be used the way that all the other funding can um, I mean certainly you know money outside of this settlement can and should be used for this but this fund will be in a totally separate account to be distributed um, I'm sure everyone's going to use these funds appropriately and there will be no fraud but in effect, if that does happen, if these funds don't get to where they're supposed to be through fraudulent means, is there a plan in place to go after these people on a legal level at your level or even at the federal level? Or is it just kind of like we'll figure it out as we go? Well, technically, in accordance with the lawsuit, and this is oftentimes the case in some of these settlements, there's a clawback um, provision. So if it's discovered that the funds are not being used appropriately, that money then can be extracted and they can either stop giving money to that particular community uh, or they can try to you know get the money refunded back into the fund um, but hopefully that won't happen and obviously one of the things that we're really trying to do and we're having you know a number of these uh, different events where we're trying to make certain that communities all you know we, we have every confidence that Department of Health and Human Services for whatever funds they end up distributing they know how to use this money and we know that they'll be helping communities around the state but we want to make sure that some of the municipalities that don't have experience with spending this kind of money um, have opportunities to become educated about best practices and we know that all the communities want to do everything they can to help uh, their you know residents but not everybody has that experience, so we're going to make sure that they know what the best practices is, what the best use of that money is, and different ways that the money has successfully been utilized in other areas. Uh, Josh Sanchez with WLNS 6 News. Uh, this question is for uh, both uh, Officer Vale and um, uh, the County Commissioner. Uh, feel free to jump in if you would like. Uh, because of your personal connection to this app, uh, to this issue, how do you feel about today's announcement? And do you feel like this does enough to hold people accountable? Well, well I have been assured by the Attorney General standing behind me that she is going to create enough um, guidelines, guardrails, whatever you want to call them, so that this money gets used in the ways that it's supposed to get used. Because it would be an incredible tragedy to see this money come into communities and then not end up where it really belongs, which is in prevention, treatment, harm reduction, those sorts of things. So uh, that's, where, that's what we need for our families. That's what we need for our people who are suffering out there. And um, I, I've, I've had great assurances that that is exactly what's going to happen in this state. So, What she said. Uh, I, I do want to uh, remind folks that, you know, we have other cases that are pending. Um, my department is deeply involved with the Purdue Pharma negotiations. We're actually on the ad hoc committee, the state of Michigan is, so we're more deeply involved than, than the most of the states are. Um, now, Purdue is in bankruptcy, so it really complicates things, but that's, that case is pending. So is our, our case now uh, that's still pending in Wayne County on Walgreens. So we have a case against them that remains pending. Uh, so hopefully there will be yet more money um, that is related to opioid relief. But I think this is a pretty good start. Anybody else? Just on, uh, on that, you know, what are your um, your thoughts on, on the prognosis, if you will, of that, that case, an outcome that is favorable for you guys? Uh, how do you 
How do you think that case is going to go in your guys' favor? Walgreens? Okay, well, I, you know, Purdue, uh, I'm, I remain very hopeful that we'll get to a place where we'll have a settlement. Walgreens, I mean, it's a, it's a very, you know, we think it's a strong lawsuit, but let me say this. One of the, you know, of, of the many laws I would like to see repealed from the books is the drug immunity law. Uh, and while I believe we have a very, very strong case with the claims that we've made, uh, I think it's important to remind everybody that we are the only state in the United States of America that has a drug immunity law. And it is helpful to no one, but it harms a whole lot of people. So just as a reminder, uh, in case anybody from the legislature sees this, we need to repeal the drug immunity law. But with that, I think that we've made some strong arguments on that case, and I'm hopeful that the case will move forward and eventually resolve. I wanted to ask about the Sackler family. Are, are they involved at all with the, the other settlement you mentioned, Purdue Pharma? Sorry. Oh. <laughs> family involved with that other settlement you you mentioned the Purdue Pharma settlement yeah so my understanding is you now first of all the Sackler family they are removed but not removed I know that there was an effort to really try to uh, locate where all of their funds are there clearly was an effort to divert some of their billions and billions of dollars overseas so I know there was an extraordinary effort to try to locate where that money went, uh, and, and some of it was successful. So the numbers in terms that, that were being negotiated, I know, had started to move up based on locating some of these other funds. But uh, at this point, I believe the Sacklers are not part of Purdue Pharma anymore. Am I like, I'm correct in saying that, right? So they're not, they're not technically involved. They've been removed from the company at this point but I think their fortunes are somehow still involved with the settlement uh, because a lot of it, you know, and frankly, you know, a lot of the states, um, that was their main point of contention is that they knew how much money had been made, uh, especially, you know, Oxycontin, um, as you know, was uh, a drug that was marketed all over the country and it was a Purdue Pharma drug and, you know, billions and billions of dollars made off of that. And it was an effort to try to find where did that money go before coming to an understanding what the settlement would be. We've been, again, actively involved in that, Michigan in particular. There are, how many states on the ad hoc committee, Christina? Ten. Ten states? Okay. So, um, and Michigan has been deeply involved in that from the beginning. So, we are working on that every day. I have multiple emails right now in my inbox that I haven't read yet, just today, pursuant to that. So hoping things will move along, and I'm still hoping for a resolution that will add to the amounts that we're talking about today. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here.